Greetings, everyone. This is our Berean Bible Church podcast and our Elephant in the Room series. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Uh, so good to be here this morning. I got to tell you, I'm from Florida, so I know it's hot during the day here, but I wake up to 90 degree weather <laughs> down there. So it was a nice break for that 66, 67 degree weather this morning. Beautiful country, beautiful country up here in, in green. Uh, I want to first welcome the other campuses, uh, online campus and Bainbridge and Cincy. Welcome. We're glad you're here to worship and to learn more about the Lord with us as well. My name is Jim Childs. I am with ABWE, which is a missions sending organization. We're a thousand missionaries across 70 countries with partners in over 80 countries. We have a, we're a family of ministries as well, and one of those ministries is called Every Ethne. That Every Ethne, loosely translated, means every people group. Our mission is in North, come alongside the churches in North America to help reach unreached people groups. One of those people groups that we've identified is a cultural people, people group that's not being reached very well, and that's LGBTQ+. So the ministry is the centerpiece of, of what I do is a seminar that we actually brought here to the Green Campus yesterday, and it was a great time of, of just learning and growing and expressing and sharing how to build grace and truth relationships with that unbelieving LGBTQ plus friend or neighbor or family member. I also get to work with pastors and do pastor workshops, uh, leader workshops, work with individuals who struggle with unwanted same-sex attraction. I work with families and, and parents who are wrestling with how to best love their, their children. So it's just a, it's, it's a multifaceted ministry and it's just a blessing to do that. So that is why today I've been asked to speak to the Elephants in the Room. It's a great series, by the way. I've been following it. And the first one with, uh, on sex, that's the last one on suicide. And this one, today, LGBTQ+, is the one I get to speak into. So I appreciate the fact that you're all here and ready to learn and listen. I do want to say a couple of things, sort of preface my conversation. Um, <laughs> Let's just recognize right off the bat, it's under the top, under the big heading of elephant in the room because it is a very potentially polarizing topic. For some of you, it is very personal. Others, it's political. For many of us, it's both. Some of us are like, what are we even talking about this for? So I come to this place to tell you that I'm going to speak today from my heart and from what I believe to be God's heart. If there are things you're here that you don't agree with, that maybe even stir some things up, maybe even make you a little angry, please hang on. Stay with me till the end. Give me a chance. And if you still disagree at the end, I would love to have a conversation with you because I really want to hear the viewpoint and the wrestling that you may have. So I just want to preface that. This is not a conversation to... Uh, bash a people group. This is a conversation to help understand better the experiences of our friends and our neighbors and our family members. I, I use an analogy um, that just to kind of tell you where my heart is and why I go to the Word of God through this. Let's just use a, sort of an illustration of a car that an engineer has designed. That engineer knows everything about that car. That engineer knows 
where every computer chip goes, what fuel to, it's going to take, where every nut and bolt fits, and where every part goes to make it, the car run best. In order for us as a consumer to get the most out of that car, the engineer gives us an owner's manual that gives us tips on how and guidelines on how to best use that car, how to take care of it, how to maintain it, so that we get the best use out of it. Now, many of us may know, we don't have to follow that maintenance schedule. We don't have to follow the information in the owner's manual, and the car will still run, but it won't run at its optimum. It eventually will stop running well. It'll start sputtering. It'll start skipping. It'll do all sorts of things, but it can still run. So you see where I'm headed here. God created every one of us, just like Psalm 139 tells us. He created each one of us, knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows us better than anyone, and he knows what it's going to take in this earth to make us flourish in his design. And he gives us his owner's manual. He gives us the Bible, his word, as guidelines to keep help us to flourish. And if we follow those, that's where we start to flourish. But if we don't, we can still live okay, and we can still, by world standards, be good. Be, you sort of live well in some cases, but it's not the best. And it's my heart to help people guide them, get into God's design so that you flourish here. One of my favorite verses comes from is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. And if you have one of the, the Bibles here, it's uh, page 932, if you'd like to follow along. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through Christ. We are ambassadors as believers. I'm coming here as an ambassador. Why am I talking about the topic of LGBTQ? Why do I care? Why is, why is that my ministry? It's because that's my story. For 28 years, I identified as a gay male. I lived in that lifestyle. And what I want to do today is take you on a journey, a bit of my journey, because it's going to instill some understanding, because my journey is not that unique. My journey is very much common to those who experience or to have homosexuality, who experience transgender uh, feelings. Our experience on how we got there is very similar in many cases. So I like to share that piece of it. Then I like to share you the big exciting part is how God used individuals just like many of you to draw me back to him. Because that's really what it's about. We are ambassadors. And God used men and women in my life who are Christ followers to draw me back to him. So I'm going to start with uh, the earliest memory. I'm not going to go through year by year, I promise. But I will say this, uh, I'm going to take you, tell, you, tell you a few things about my life as a child. Um, great family. My dad was uh, all male. He was a self-described Georgia redneck. 
So his job, he was a big guy, uh, very confident, and, and uh, man, he, he had a booming voice. He, he led our family. He led it. He wasn't ever in doubt. He may not always be right, but he didn't want to hear it if he wasn't. So he was very straightforward. Dad's main job for me, his only son, was to make a man out of me. I happened to be a sensitive boy. I happened to be feel uh, I, he would have thought it was a little soft. So my dad's job in his mind was to toughen me up. I received that kind of instruction as though I wasn't good enough. And I wanted to be good enough for my dad. I wanted to, to measure up, and I just never felt like I did because he was always trying to push me to do better, to be stronger. See, I wasn't athletic. Uh, I'm not comp- I wasn't competitive. I wanted to bond with other boys, but I didn't quite know how. So I'd go hang around them, but I didn't quite get it because I just I couldn't keep like the a- athleticism. I just was a clumsy, uh, and I really didn't care who won. <laughs> And so that just, we just didn't fit in with that. But I wanted to bond. And here's the thing. As a side note, that desire to bond is in every boy to bond with, every, with little boys. Every girl is born with that desire to bond with girls. That's part of our growth process as human beings. When it happens, and you, okay, let's just use an example though. You see little kids Little boys are always playing, wrestling with each other, and naturally drawn to each other. Little girls, they naturally drawn to each other. You know, when they're very young, two, three, and four, and five years old. It's a natural thing. When it happens, we don't think about it. It just happens. But when it doesn't happen, there's a deficit. It's noticed. I noticed that I was different. I noticed I wasn't bonding, but I wanted to bond. I wanted to be affirmed. I wanted the other boys to say, yep, you've got what it takes, just like we do. And I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that for my dad. Even if he was trying to tell me that, I didn't believe him because all I could hear was, do better. So I believed that I was less than other boys and I was actually opposite them. When adolescence came along, that all became sexualized. That need, that desire to, to bond with boys became sexualized. It became the attraction because I was trying to fill a need to bond. Now, I would have told you, once, once I took on a gay identity, I would have told you that I was born gay or I'd always been gay. But actually, I was truly simply trying to explain why I felt different. See, I knew that I wasn't bonding, but I wanted to. So I explained that away as saying I was attractive. And I wasn't attracted. I was having a natural desire to bond, and it just didn't happen. That's very common. How many times have we heard, I've been born gay, I've always been gay? Because when you're in the lifestyle, when when you have the gay identity, that is what you need to believe. And I'm not trying to tell them they're wrong. I'm just saying they haven't quite seen the difference yet. When I first recognized the same-sex attraction, I was devastated. I was ashamed. I kept it a secret. 
I came to Christ when I was 14, and then the shame really, honestly, escalated. But I was also had the joy of knowing that I was in the Lord. So I, was, I didn't know what to do with it. Now, I wasn't going to act on these attractions, by the way, because of the shame. And also, to be honest with you, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have a wife and family. So these gay feelings were just not something I was up for. So I just hid them. I stuffed them down, tried to ignore them. Begging, begging, begging God to take it away. And he didn't. Through the years, God, please take this away. And he didn't. So I said, okay, God, maybe in your timing. I kept pursuing the Lord. At 16, I was called to full-time vocational ministry. I, I was in a, the, at a youth retreat in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Georgia. I remember around a bonfire when I felt that call. And in my heart, I'm like, oh my goodness, how do you, Lord, don't you know my secret? But then I trusted God to somehow compensate for that. I don't know how, what you're going to do, Lord, but okay, I'm going to follow you. I told people in church, I told the, uh, the, uh, the leadership, hey, this is what the Lord's calling me to. And they surrounded me. They started helping me to, to, to grow me into uh, being ready for college and then seminary to be that. So they put me in Bible studies, taught me, discipled me in, in the Word of God, and really gave me opportunities to serve and to grow in the Lord. They never quite said, though, hey, how's your heart? Ever struggle with anything? How's the dating going? Nothing like that. I'm not blaming them. I'm just making a statement there. So with all of that, I go into college and I'm dating uh, a girl actually falling in love. We're talking about getting married and I'm very heavily into the Baptist campus ministry leadership. I am a part-time youth director, loving God, but having this secret and loving the girl that I'm dating, but I'm having this secret that just keeps weighing on me. See, I couldn't tell anybody because I was sort of uh, looked up to. I was held up as an example. Look at this young man. He loves the Lord. Look how much he loves the Lord. And I liked that. Just being really real here. There's some pride issues going on that I didn't even realize. Because now I was other than other boys, but I was because I felt I was a little bit better. Kind of a shame to say that, but that's kind of the way I felt. Therefore, I couldn't tell anybody that I had these feelings because then they would look at me differently. I didn't think anybody could help me necessarily, but I also knew that they would look at me differently. They might, <laughs> they would certainly not want to exalt me in any way. It would hurt my pride. I would become that guy. And I didn't want to do that either, risk that. So I just hit it. Until one day my dad said, Jim, you're talking about marrying this gal. She's got champagne taste. You're going to be a preacher. You're going to be on a beer budget. You're not going to be able to support her. Now, what I heard, that's what he told me. It's just some advice from dad to son. What I heard was, you'll never be man enough to be a husband to any woman or father to any child. That's the way I received that message. At that point, the same-sex attraction started intensifying, and I knew I had to face them. I couldn't hide them anymore. But I didn't, still wasn't willing to go to someone in the church. Even trusted friends who were believers, I couldn't tell them that. So I went to the world instead to figure it out. I pulled out of ministry, pulled out of school, broke up with my girlfriend, and went right into the gay community to figure this out. And I was told, I was embraced, yes, great, you're welcome here. <laughs> sort of figuratively speaking, uh, 
You know, you're born gay. You need to embrace that. Christians are all wrong. They just want to control you. This is the messaging I started getting. And it felt good because all of a sudden, they were telling me my brokenness, my sinfulness, sinful thoughts, that they were okay, that they were good. And that felt soothing in some way. So I, I said, God, what do I do with this? I really can't twist scripture because I tried that for a while. I can't retranslate and make it work for me because that's just a smack in the face of God. I'm not going to fall into that, Lord. I'm not going to pretend to be gay and Christian because that just doesn't work in the eyes of the Lord. It may work for the world, but it doesn't work in the eyes of God. And it was God I was going to have to answer to. So instead of fighting it longer, I said, so Lord, I'm just going to put you over here. I might even pretend I don't believe in you because I just can't deal with it. Because we have free will, that's what he let me do. For 28 years, I stayed in the gay lifestyle. I had a, a partner for 23 of those years. And I got to tell you, it's not what is promised. It's not the life of two men or two women. They're not what are living together as cohabitating as spouses. It's, it's, it's not what it's cracked up to be. It's not what is presented. There are good elements to be sure. But I got to tell you, two men or two women, we're not meant to be, we're not designed to be romantically involved. We're not designed to be, be put together in that way. And it takes its toll. This is not something you hear very often, is it? <laughs> it's not a popular thing to say, but I'm speaking from my own experience as well as so many, all my friends, everybody that I knew in those 28 years, who when you could get down to a heart conversation, you realized there was unhappiness. But it's the best they could do because, hey, I was born this way. I'm just going to make the best of it and live life and I want the best I can and grab the happiness that I can and, and blame my bad feelings on others that don't agree with me and I'm going to, to present a, a really happy front so that everybody thinks everything is good and that's going to be my life. It's, it's, it takes a lot of energy. I'm not saying every person who says they're gay are, is unhappy, but I bet you they don't have the peace that they want and they bring, blame that often on us. But even if the more they get affirmed in that lifestyle, there's still that longing because it's not, they can't get it from God. So, I don't even realize this until my partner, brother-in-law, who was a believer, and my partner's mother and sister were also believers, and they actually welcomed me into the family, not as, as a partner of, of, of Robert, their brother and son. They welcomed me as a, their friend. They saw me as an image bearer of God, as a man who needed Christ, and that's how they treated me as a person. They didn't look down on us. Every conversation wasn't about the disagreement that they had with the lifestyle. It was all about just doing life. Well, at one point, life got really tough, and the brother-in-law pulled me aside, and he said, Jim, things are pretty rough. Man, how can I help? He meant it. Now, this is I had known him already for, for many years. And I always thought he looked down on me because he was everything that I wanted to be but couldn't. Everything that I thought I should be but wasn't. He was Christian. He was heterosexual. He was successful in business. He was 
athletic. He was competitive. He was successful. He, he had guy friends. He, he was just this guy, the man's man. Tom, <laughs> I, I say this, he was a hunter <laughs> who could shoot the deer, butcher it, cook the meat, put the head up on the wall that he probably built. <laughs> That's just the guy he is. <laughs> so I was intimidated for so long. And I always assumed he must look down on me because life for me was, was awful. Life for me was disastrous by this point especially. There were, there were substance abuse, some physical, emotional abuse, depression within our, my pairing with my partner and I. Our life was pretty financial ruin. These things were just repeated over and over again. So this brother-in-law finally stepped in and said, Jim, how, is, how are things? I'm like, everything's great. He said, okay, let me ask you something. Is, is great to you, this, that you are living with your partner's mother, your partner's on disability, you don't have a job, everything you own now is in one room of a house or your car. Are you sure everything's good? Well, <laughs> I really wanted, to, <laughs> I really wanted to, to, to lash out at him. And before I could, he said, dude, we're family, pick up the phone. So he called me dude for one thing, so that kind of made me feel good. The other thing was that I really, he meant it. So he helped, he helped me get outside of my head and start putting things on paper and getting life back on track. And that meant more than anything. See, what I thought he would do if he knew things were going badly, if I asked for his advice, what I thought he would do <laughs> would say, well, that's what you deserve for the life you chose. Or, hey, come to church and God will fix everything for you. No, he knew my immediate need. I wouldn't see anything else until I got those immediate needs set up. So that's how he helped. We started getting life on track. And, and then, he, then he started asking me. We built some trust. Then he asked me about my faith that I had as a kid. What does it mean to me now? He started saying, do you ever miss God? And I said, oh, yeah. But I've rejected God too many times. I've done too many things, gone too far. So it's, it's, it's a point that doesn't matter. And he said, yeah, that's not true. You haven't rejected God too many times. You haven't gone too far. I have a buddy, he said, I have a guy who I'd love to uh, bring into the conversation if you really want to explore it. He, he knows scripture. He knows, he, he's a much more well-versed, and he's really easy to talk to. So if you'd like to meet him, you can have this conversation, and he'll show you how God really does love you. You know, I wanted it because life had gotten better. Even if it was getting back on track, I, I, the Lord was working in my heart. So I said, sure. So he brings in his friend Doug, introduces us, and when that first meeting, what I see is this big black Bible with legs walking toward me. I don't see a man. Because this guy, and he has a black Bible, by the way. But he came in, sat down. Gentlemen, have you seen what Romans 1 says? Gentlemen, have you seen what 1 Corinthians says? He starts reading these scriptures that are not compatible to homosexuality. I took offense immediately. And started arguing with him. So did my partner. Finally, Doug realized. Hmm. He stopped. He closed his Bible and put it aside. Guys, would you forgive me? Can we agree to disagree on this? Because I don't know who you are. I just came in assuming you wanted to know what the Bible said. But can we talk, get to know each other? So now I saw a man sitting in front of me who, by the way, was the same profile as Tom. <laughs> Yet he was interested. So he started asking questions. He started to get to know us. He said, I don't know anything about the gay community, but I want to understand your life. So if I ask you questions that offend you, you let me know. 
So we started meeting, talking about our lives to get into lives. He, was, he became friends of us. He told us things about his struggles. He actually, um, at one point, we kind of made fun of his shoes because they were really scuffed up and there was a hole in the bottom of the soles. And just because there was enough of that arrogance in us still that we were like, hello, look at that, making fun. And he's like, yeah, it's just not my budget. Because, you know, I work for a nonprofit and I got four kids and they need shoes first and nobody sees the soles of my feet except you guys. You shouldn't have been looking. So, uh, yeah, I'm good. Well, because he had been so nice to us, Robert, who was my partner, said his dad used to buy him shoes a lot, just, just randomly pick up a pair of shoes. And so Robert had all this, these shoes that were the same size as Doug, so he went and picked out a pair and brought it to Doug the next time we met. And Doug received that pair graciously and started wearing them. So see, he let us serve him as well. He didn't act like he was there to fix us. We, we started going through and getting to know Doug, and all of a, then I began to ask him questions about his faith. I'm just, t- talk to me about your, the joy you have. Because see, I started to remember what it was like to walk with the Lord. And I wanted to hear more. I wanted to hear his story. He described what Jesus Christ meant to him in his life. He didn't prescribe it as a solution that I wasn't asking for. He described what Jesus Christ meant to him. My partner said, Doug, you got, you're really a nice guy. If all Christians were like you, we'd probably go to church. And Doug said, well, come to my community group that I teach at Sarasota Baptist Church. <laughs> and uh, we're a couples group, and I'll bet they'd, I, you, you get to know some other Christians who are just as nice as me. Well, i got to tell you, I was petrified because I came up in the Baptist Church. And in my mind, I thought, I know what we did to gay people. It's a shame to say that now, but that was my thought. We went. We walked in, and here's the, the, the reception we got was welcome. We're all here to learn more about the Word of God, to grow in our faith, to, to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And if that's what you guys are here for, welcome. We won't make it about your homosexuality if you don't. See, they knew that if we didn't, that the Word of God could actually penetrate a bit because we were there not to defend a lifestyle. We were there actually to learn about the Word of God. My partner came to Christ after a few months of going. I was going to, I was on Sunday uh, duty working, but my partner came to Christ because, see, for the first time in his life, he started to understand that he needed Jesus Christ because he was born in the human race, not because he was gay. He always thought Christians were telling him about the Lord because they didn't like his lifestyle. He didn't have that understanding of the full gospel that every person born in the human race needs a Savior. Once he realized that, he trusted the Lord with his heart. He passed away two months later. He's in heaven because those people cared enough to get beyond their discomfort and know that God's big picture heart is to draw people to him. And I'm forever thankful to that group of people. Doug spoke of the memorial, and he was wearing those shoes that Robert gave him. He talked not about Robert's life so much as how much he had learned from us by spending time with us. He honored, he honored these two gay guys. He made reference to the shoes, and he was walking a mile in Robert's shoes. What an honor, honoring thing. Other Christians surrounded me in this grieving process. The gay community didn't, but 
These Christians did. They taught me how to grieve in a godly way, grieve in a Christian way, grieve with that little bit of joy knowing that, that somebody had, had gone on to, to be with the Lord and, and was now in, a, in this eternal, amazing state. So I learned so much around them, and that drew me back to start seeking the Lord even more. And I did that for about a year, and then I realized I wasn't growing as much as I thought I should, and I didn't know what to do. So I asked my partner's mom, whose name is Pat. Pat's a little short, little little lady, um, white hair, blue eyes. She's just sweet, as sweet as she can be. She's southern, and she has a, the convictions of, of steel. But she'd always been so kind to me, and I always knew where she stood, but she never directly said, you're wrong. I said, Pat, why am I not growing in the Lord? Because she's also very godly. She said, well, Jim, because she's from the South, it's two syllables. Do you think it's the gay thing? What? See, she didn't tell me it was. She asked me to consider it. That night, I went to the Word of God. And I opened up to Romans 1. Honestly, I did not mean to do that. But here's what it struck out at me. I'm going to read that to you. It would be page uh, 904, I believe. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned lust with lust for one another. I'm starting at verse 27, by the way. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Back up to suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. I'm thinking, well, that's why I was so miserable all these years. And I kept seeking happiness. Oh, the penalty of my life choices was inside. Hmm. Then as I kept going, talking about it, because we, I saw that it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned me to the foolish thinking. Then it says this in verse 29, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, see, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, they're heartless, they have no mercy. That describes, so much of those <laughs> adjectives describe me. I didn't like myself anymore. I didn't know how I'd gotten so hardened, but then this explained it all. I had put God on a shelf. I didn't see that I needed to retain the knowledge of God, and so God said, okay, the consequences of the sin is going to catch up with you, and it had. And it was so clear. I dropped to my knees. Lord, would you forgive me? Is it not too late? First Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11 tells me that answer. When it tells us that, I'm going to start with verse, uh, verse 11. No, let's start with verse 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, commit adultery, or male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of them, these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, 
but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Oh, He will forgive me. Lord, I don't know what to do. This is my prayer to Him. I don't know what to do with this gay thing because I feel like I'm born this way, but I won't act on it. Lord, would you teach me to be the man you actually created me to be? That was my prayer that night. And almost within a week, I had other men in my life starting to walk with me. It, it was a, a wall, a group of guys who climbed wall. It was a friend of Tom's, some friends of Tom's. They brought me into their group, not as a project, just as one of the guys who's going to learn to be learn to be a climber, grow in the Lord, just walking with them. They treated me like one of them. You see, walking with them and being part of them, I started realizing that I was one of the guys, which is what I ever wanted in the first place. I realized I wasn't so different after all. I had the same desire to be the provider, protector, leader that every other man has. I, if you want to use the word hunter-gatherer kind of a thing, we, they hunted and gathered in the woods, and I went to Macy's to hunt and gather, but we still had the same desire, right? And these are the things that I was able to start looking at, the Lord was revealing. I was one of them. I'm not so different after all. And that's when God would start to unravel those same-sex attractions. Because no longer did I have that, that misguided lie that I was different, that I was less than. I was getting affirmation in a godly way from godly men. I was, getting, I was seeing how God intended for men to relate to one another. And that was everything. Now, I will say that it was a process. It's not like a light switch went off. It's been a process. God... I, I, in studying scripture, in doing research, looking back at my own life, I was able to figure out some things about how I get some root causes of these attractions. So it was more that it became more than sin management. It was actually going to be walking in freedom. And it wasn't a great process, but it was an amazing process. I wouldn't trade it for the world because not only did the same sex attractions fall away, but then God actually got to start working on me as a man. The really deep stuff that was sometimes even harder. And he's still doing that, praise the Lord. I want to say something here. The difference in that night and all the years I prayed for God to take the gay away, <laughs> the difference is I wanted him to take it away when I was a teenager. The time I surrendered to the Lord, I surrendered it all to him. I said, I won't act on it. I know my feelings are there, but I want to honor you, God. Would you teach me to be the man you created me to be? I acknowledged and agreed with God that he did not even create me in that way. And I said, would you teach me the man? I, I will do whatever it takes. I will deny those feelings because that's what we're all supposed to do as believers. That's where the freedom started. Christian men and women coming alongside me, treating me as a person, not as a project or somebody who was less than, started, had, brought, had brought me back to the Lord. About a year and a half later, I get a call from my pastor, who is a small church plant, and he said, hey, Jim, not call, but actually we, we made for coffee, and he said, uh, we're growing, and I need to add to the staff, I need a point person, I need kind of a right-hand guy, uh, you, I know your heart, I know your story, I know your calling, are you interested in jumping on staff with us? I was blown away by the grace of God, allowing me to circle back around to the calling that I had walked away from. I said, yes. I have no idea what that looks like, but yes. 
That's been a pattern now from <laughs> since I've been back with the Lord, by the way. Uh, saying yes to what I know the Lord's leading and not knowing what it's going to look like. That's faith, right? That's what he calls us to do. So I stepped into that role as, as sort of operations, and that morphed into a pastoral heart. God started working in my heart to show that I really did care about people. I really did love people. He gave me a passion to minister to the hurting. Gave me a passion to minister to those who are walking in deception and to teach others how to do this. So for six years I was, wasn't involved in, in sort of anything with LGBT, but I shared my story freely because it was God's story. It's not mine to hold on to. And it's a, there are elements in my story that are just embarrassing if I let them be, but they're not because I'm not that person I used to be. I'm a new creation in Christ. I've been washed. I've been being sanctified. And I want to declare that because that is available to every person. We can't let somebody's declaration that says, I am gay, I am trans, I am lesbian, I am bisexual, I am LGBTQ, therefore don't talk to me about God. Okay, we won't talk about your LGBTQ, whatever those things. We won't talk about that. We'll talk about your need for Jesus as a person. That's only after you build trust. We have to get past the arguments that come up. We have to love individuals. We can't sit there and say, I want to change my son, my daughter, my coworker. I want them to know Christ. I want them to be reconciled. That's got to be our heart's desire. I, I, I lead uh, two parents groups. They are in, uh, they, they're on Zoom because they come from everywhere, from, from Bellingham, Washington, to Ohio, to, to Florida, and we come together two different groups on a Monday or Tuesday every week. And these are parents of, of kids who identify as LGBT or Q. And we, we help them process and understand better how to love and how to, how to walk with their kids, even when the kids are walking not in the Lord, right? But we are, we're there to support one another. We pray for the kids every week by name. And we don't pray for God to change their desires. We don't pray for God to change their lesbian, gay, transgender identity. We pray for them to be reconciled with God and to bring others in their lives who will help them do that. You could be that person that God wants to reach, use to reach that person who is far from God, who happens to be gay. It's not up to us to change that. It's up to us to bring them to the Lord and the Lord does the rest. That's the point. Eternity is at stake here, folks. Let's not have fear. Let's don't go in like a bull in a china shop. Let's love people into the kingdom. Hear their stories. Meet them where they are. Let them get to know you. Let them get to know who God is. Can we pray? Father, we thank you that you have sent us to be your ambassadors, that you have appointed us, that we get that joy, that we get that privilege. We thank you. I pray for every person in this room, Lord, anyone who might struggle with these issues that we're talking about, would you show them your love, help them to walk, take a step toward you, pull them, draw them toward you, toward freedom. I pray for anyone here who's struggling, who doesn't know you, Lord, that today might be the day that they would say yes to you, to salvation. Lord, we thank you. We come together as a church and worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray.